You are listening to The Tish with Rabbi Michael Knopf, a Jcast Network podcast. For more information about Rabbi Michael Knopf, please visit MikeKnopf.com. For more information about other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. It's uh, nice to be back with you, um, doing some learning, eating some bagels. Uh, bagels, primarily, I mean, they're sort of bagels. Uh, um, it is hummus. It is hummus, at least, yes. That's so I uh, I thought uh, that uh, given that it's a, a new season and given that we've been uh, uh, studying um, uh, our, our subject of choice for uh, uh, some time now, for almost a year now, um, I, uh, I thought maybe uh, we would switch things up a little bit. And we've been studying prayer, uh, the, the, the whys and um, what's of, of prayer from a sort of abstract place, so different than what Rabbi Kiefer's been doing, which is... Um, picking apart and analyzing each prayer, which is a very worthy and, and meaningful exercise, we were taking a step out and, and saying, what's the point of prayer in the first place? Um, and uh, uh, what, I, what I thought we would do is uh, take a, a similar approach, uh, take a similar kind of question, and apply it to the rest of Judaism. What's the point? Right? To, uh, I guess, you know, paraphrase from the, from the wicked child, at, uh, from, the, from the Rasha, at the, uh, at, at the Seder, right? What is, what is the meaning of all this to you, right? Um, and it turns out that uh, in Jewish history there have been um, a lot of uh, uh, wicked children. Um, there still are today. Uh, but uh, but what, what's amazing is that uh, in different points in Jewish history, uh, some of the greatest scholars and sages of our of our people have asked the same question that the wicked child has asked. Is, what's the point? What's the meaning of all this? Uh, the the assumption is that um, is that a god of uh, of 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 uh, will and of goodness, um, if we assume that, uh, that God gave the Torah, even if God didn't write the Torah letter for letter, but God inspired the Torah, then what's contained in the Torah has to have some kind of purpose. God wouldn't capriciously command anything. Now, there are people who say, well, you know, that, that's true, but we don't necessarily know all of the reasons for all the commandments. That may be. Um, but even the people who have said that in, uh, in Jewish history um, have often qualified that with, if we, if we could for a moment put ourselves in God's mind, if such a thing were possible, then we would be able to really understand the reason behind even what are seemingly the most unreasonable, um, irrational or irrational Jewish laws. Everybody with me so far, right? So one of the uh, 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 principal characters in this conversation is Maimonides, and Maimonides is one of the uh, um, sages who famously divided the Torah into two categories: Chukim and Mishpatim. Right? Mishpatim are uh, those laws that uh, have a uh, a rational basis, right? You, uh, the, uh, a, a reasonable person could look at that law and say, like, oh yeah, I know exactly why God commanded that, right? So what's the classic example of a, of a mishpat? Joshua. 
kill. Right, good. Thou shalt not murder, right? Um, we can think of a, a, a number of, uh, of, of rational um, explanations for why the Torah would command us not to murder. But the, but the achok um, is uh, something like the, uh, like the para aduma, the red heifer. Right, uh, which is uh, um, it, which is involved in a purification ritual after having come in contact with the with a corpse. Right, it's a chok is uh, a law that seemingly has no rational basis, but even Maimonides <coughs> says seemingly has no rational basis. But what Maimonides supposed was that if a person were to reach the level of of, uh, of full prophecy, if a person were to reach the level of Moses, that person would fully and clearly understand what the purpose of uh, something like the para aduma is. Um, It's just that the reasoning is obstructed for us mere mortals. So the premise is that even the most unreasonable laws have a rational basis. Right? And, and what Maimonides does in the uh, Guide of the Perplexed in the Mor Nevuchim is he actually does one of the first uh, um, uh, systematic exercises called Ta'ameh HaMitzvot, which is the, um, the, the meaning or the reason of the commandments. What's the point? What's the purpose of a given commandment? And he goes through some of the toughies. He goes through Shabbat. What's the purpose of Shabbat? He goes through Kashrut. What's the purpose of Kashrut? He goes through a number of these uh, laws, trying to um, explain that uh, even though they seem irrational, we could probably suggest some rational explanations for why God would command those things to us. And ultimately, what Maimonides says is that every commandment has a toilet. Every commandment has a has a purpose. Right? Uh, rabbi Erwin Kula is a contemporary rabbi, a teacher of mine. Uh, he he says that uh, that that every com- every mitzvah is a is a tool um, to get a particular job done, right? And he uses Maimonides' language of toelet. Every every mitzvah has a purpose, right? Meaning to say, every mitzvah has a job it's trying to get done. Every mitzvah has a has a thing it's trying to accomplish, right? And so Maimonides says that every commandment in the Torah is um, is is made for one of two reasons: the perfection of the body or the perfection of the spirit. So what does he mean by that? The perfection of the body means two things. It means literally the perfection of the body, right, for your health, right? And so some elements of kashrut, for example, Maimonides says that we're commanded that uh, in terms of our, our health, right? He goes at length to talk about how eating meat and dairy together is an unhealthy practice. Right? But health of the body actually has another purpose, which is uh, the body politic, right, to perfect the... Um, to perfect society, to perfect, to perfect communities. So the purpose of every mitzvah in the Torah, um, or purpose of, of, uh, of at least some of the mitzvah in the Torah, is to uh, uh, perfect not only our physical bodies, but the community, but our society. And the perfection of the spirit, it means perfection of ideas. right? So um, one of the purposes of the Torah is to get us to understand the truth to get us to know the, the reality of the world, right? So we need to know what God is, and if we can't know what God is, we need to know at least what God is not, right? That's the perfection of the spirit, um, is the perfection of the mind, 
the perfection of ideas. There's, Maimonides says every commandment in the Torah is either for one of those two things, the perfection of the body or the perfection of the spirit, the perfection of, the, of, the, uh, of, our, of our physical world, um, our, our, our societies, or the perfection of our ideas, the perfection of our mind. That's what R- Rambam says. Well, no. <coughs> Rabbi, Rambam lived in a time where there had been horrible things visited upon the chosen people. How does he, how does he relate to the things that we're doing, that we're commanded to do, and yet we get all this nonsense against us? Yeah. Tell me that. Great. So, um, first of all, I'm, I'm not sure if I agree with the premise. I think Rambam actually lived in a pretty decent time uh, for, for the Jewish people, at least in the place where he lived. Uh, I mean, he, he uh, um, uh, his family left Spain, which uh, um, wasn't a, a, an incredible place for him, but um, he, he lived in a, uh, in, in a point in, uh, um, in, in, in the um, Islamic Empire in North Africa um, where Jews were treated very well. I mean, he rose to a very high and prominent position um, in, the, um, in the monarchy of, uh, of, uh, um, uh, of, the, of the empire. So um, he actually... But, but, but that, that, yeah. that's fine. But he knows of the horrible things that happened to Jews over the years. He knows that. Yeah. How does he explain that? Right. So... Um, that is only a problem if you assume that the reason for doing the commandments is to get rewarded by God for doing the commandments, right? And Maimonides actually doesn't say that. Um, he's, I mean, he says that that may happen, um, but, uh, but it's not the reason that we're given the commandments, not the reason to do the commandments. He says that that's actually a, uh, a, um, uh, an inferior uh, way of relating to the Jewish tradition um, to observe the commandments out of a fear of punishment or a hope of a reward. Uh, and, uh, and that knowledgeable people will observe the commandments because of, uh, because, uh, first of all, because they're commanded uh, uh, and out of a love of God. Um, but if not out of a sheer love of God, uh, then uh, out of a knowledge that, uh, that, that they um, aim at perfecting both the body and the spirit. So I think Maimonides would say that that, uh, um, that that we don't observe the commandments uh, because we're rewarded for them because things will go well for us, um, and that if if societies adopt the commandments and if individuals adopt the commandments um, uh, as a general rule, um, things will go better for you because um, because you're you'll be healthier, um, society will function better, uh, and um, um, and you'll think more clearly. So that's one thing I'll say. And the second thing I'll say is that, my, that Ramon has a, 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 a whole, um, I think probably one of the best that's ever been uh, composed approaches to the question of, of, of why bad things happen even to, to righteous people, uh, even to people who, who very you know, steadfastly observe the commandments. Um, so the first thing he says is that uh, if, if something bad has befallen you, um, there is a possibility that you did something to deserve it. And so you should... Now, this isn't something that, you know, you should go and tell somebody who's suffering, right? But uh, but uh, it is conceivable, right? That if, if I have lung cancer, there's something I did to deserve that, 
right? Um, not necessarily because I didn't keep kosher, but maybe because I smoked, right? So uh, my mom used to say, if, the, if there's something bad that's happening to you, you should look back in your deeds and, and see if there's something that you did to deserve it. Um, and there's a possibility that uh, that, that tshuva on some level... Uh, it's possible that tshuva on some level will, uh, will, will help repair that. Then he says, if, you, if, you, if something bad's happening to you and you look into your deeds and you see if you deserved it and you realize you, you didn't do anything to deserve it, um, then, um, uh, it's, uh, um, then one of two things is possible. Uh, the first is that, uh, um, that the suffering is a result of human freedom. Right? So um, someone else did something that negatively impacted you. And, um, and God allows human freedom, right? And so therefore, God doesn't prevent, um, you know, uh, Mindy from hitting me, and that's why I have my broken arm, right? <laughs> Thanks a lot. <laughs> <laughs> um, right? Uh, so, uh, he's a basketball player. Yeah, right, right. I, I, I'll, I'll get better at my jump shot. Um, <laughs> he doesn't fall from now. <laughs> so, uh, um, uh, uh, so that's um you're talking about free will then. yeah free will okay. yeah um and the other possibility is that uh it's something that um uh exists as a uh, function of nature right so if my um house gets destroyed by a hurricane it's not because god you know uh, said oh you weren't keeping shabbos so i'm going to send a hurricane it's because hurricanes happen i live close to the beach um, right, there's another, you know, what are some things that I may have done to contribute to my suffering, right? I built my house close to the shoreline. Uh, I know that hurricanes exist. There's always a risk of hurricanes hitting the shoreline. Um, and so therefore, um, it's, it's, it's at least in part, uh, my fault and in part, uh, the fault of the way the world works and the way the world functions. So that's what my, how Maimonides would answer, you know, what, uh, what, what happens to the Jews, um, is uh, uh, some combination of all those things. He would say that there are things that had happened to the Jews uh, in part because of a failure of observing commandments. And he would also say that there are things that happened to the Jews in part because of human freedom. Right? God doesn't stop Hitlers. We weren't Hitlers at this time, right? but God, that's not what God does. Um, that's, what, that's what Maimonides would say. Um, but uh, every thinker who deals with this question of uh, uh, what's the point of observing the commandments has to deal with that question, right? Um, which is, well, what happens if you don't observe them? Uh, okay, so the, the, the text that I, that I want us to start looking at um, is another one of these attempts, probably one of the earliest and most systematic attempts to uh, engage in what's called Ta'ameh HaMitzvot, the purposes of the commandments. Um, and that's called Sefer HaChinuch, which means the Book of Education. Um, just a little bit of background. Sefer HaChinuch is uh, written anonymously. We don't know who composed it. There's some various theories on who wrote it. It was uh, composed in Spain in the mid-13th century. That we are almost certain of, because the author identifies himself as a Levite from Barcelona. Um, and uh, he lived about, I don't know, um, a half century. He wrote about a half century after Maimonides died. So he quotes Maimonides uh, uh, very often in, in Sefer HaChinuch. You know, it quotes Nachmanides as well, who was a, um, a, a, a sage in Barcelona um, uh, um, in, in a slightly, uh, slightly earlier contemporary. Um, and uh, he wrote this ostensibly, the way it's uh, composed is uh, um, as a, 
an education book for his uh, child that he's trying to, to educate in the commandments. Um, so I don't know if that's actually what it was written for, but that's at least the style in which it's written. The other thing I want to add about uh, um, Sefer Achinuch and this uh, task of uh, of Tameh Hamitzvot of uh, of the purpose of the commandments is that um, it's uh, it's very important in a um, in a it, 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 sort of contrary to your question, Ralph. It, it's it becomes primarily important in a in a in a free and open society. Right? So in a society in which there's sort of internal compulsion in the Jewish community to observe the commandments, you don't really need reasons for the commandments. The reason for observing the commandments is you'll get hauled in front of a bait dean and stoned if you don't observe them. But in an open society where, you can, where, where you're basically free to choose or not choose uh, observing Judaism, then all of a sudden it becomes important to understand, uh, to, to make an argument for why it's a good thing to observe the commandments beyond, well, you'll get hit by a lightning bolt if you don't, right? Because the um, uh, the empirical evidence suggests that there are plenty of people who don't keep kosher and aren't hit by lightning bolts, right? So that may not be a good reason. The compelling reason has to be there's some kind of rational or spiritual purpose for observing these commandments, which is why a work like Tom, uh, like Sefer Achinoch is very important for us today uh, in a society where uh, we thankfully live in a in a society where there's freedom of religion, but it also means that there's freedom from religion, and uh, and there are plenty of Jews who have very much enjoyed that freedom from religion, um, and so those of us who, uh, who 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 care about and love uh, the Jewish tradition, um, it's 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 worth trying to make an argument to people of uh, why it's a good thing to uh, to observe the mitzvot, right, um, and. Uh, and, uh, and and that's the that's the playing field on which um, uh, on which Judaism exists today, uh, making an argument for why it's a good thing to observe the mitzvot. Now you could say it's a good thing to be part of the Jewish people, and what Jewish people do is observe the mitzvot. You could make that argument, except for it's not really true, right? So you could say it's good to be part of the Jewish people, and what Jewish people do is eat bagels. Yes, we definitely do that. What Jewish people do for the most part is have a Passover seder. Sort of, yeah. We could say that, although less than a day than a decade ago. Um, you could say that uh, um, you know what Jewish people do is have a breakfast on Yom Kippur. Um, yeah, okay, right. But uh, but for the nitty gritty of uh, what it means of, of Jewish life, the argument of it's a uh, it's a good thing to be part of the Jewish people, and this is what Jews do, um, isn't really true for things like kosher anymore, or Shabbos anymore. Uh, maybe a little bit Friday night dinner, some kind of practice for Friday night dinner. But it's not really true for, for most of the things that we tend to associate, praying three times a day, for why, most things that we tend to associate with Jewish Why practice. did God select us? Why, why did he pick us to observe the commandments? Why didn't he say everybody should? Great question. It's actually in the introduction, um, which we have two seconds. We'll we'll take a look at. Um, we won't get to that question, but but in Sefer Chinuch he does um, ask that question because he phrases, and we'll see. He phrases the the, the reason for observing the commandments in a very general way. He says, "Okay, well, if that's the case, then why didn't all humanity receive the Torah?" 
Um, and his answer to that is a, is a little bit twofold. His answer is, uh, 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 first, that uh, in a way, all of humanity was uh, given uh, the Torah. And it, um, we, they were given the, the seven Noahide laws, which comprises a good portion, and even though there are only seven of them, and there's 613 commandments, um, it actually comprises a, a, a very um, a, a good portion of what, uh, what the ideal Jewish society is supposed to look like from a functional and justice perspective, the ideal non-Jewish society is supposed to look very similar, right? Um, which is why, you know, Jews uh, very much celebrate uh, um, uh, the values and, and makeup of the United States of America, because um, we see in um, at least the ideals that founded our country, um, um, the, the embodiment of at least those seven Noahide commandments. So, um, so he says that, um, and then he says that. Um, well, let's let's look at his reason for the commandments generally, um, and uh, and then if we have time, we'll get to that question specifically of why why the Israelites uh, uh, more than anybody. Okay, so um, I didn't photocopy that part for you, but uh, but if we get to it, we'll um, look at it. So look at uh, page sixty-two. Um, so he starts out by by uh, asking a question: Why did God give so precious a Torah to human beings? I'm at the very top of the page. I just the very beginning of the question was cut off from the previous page. I didn't want to have to photocopy the whole other page. Why did God give so precious a Torah to human beings? Does not the eternal Lord, blessed is He, possess everything? There are no bounds to His confidence and glory. Excuse, excuse me, to His eminence and glory. Then, by having human beings know the might of His deeds, nothing is added to His glory. Right, so you know, if God is perfect and God is glorious, um, then uh, then for us to you know, there, there's no there's no reason God needs us to know God. Right, there's nothing God gains by us knowing God. Where there is ultimate, absolute glory and majesty, what can add to it or subtract from it? Right, so it makes no difference from a philosophical point of view. Um, whether we know what God is or whether we don't know what God is, whether we believe in God, whether we don't believe in God. The answer to this is simple. The human mind cannot grasp the ways of its creator to know the reason, the why of his deeds. For his ways are higher than their ways and his thoughts than their thoughts. Okay, so here's the premise. It is impossible for the human mind, or very difficult for the human mind, um, to gr- to understand who God is, what God is, what God does. That's why Maimonides said that uh, the only one who ever came close was Moses, although you, it's a th- theoretically possible for any other human being to reach the level of Moses. M- Maimonides probably thought he was close. Um, that's why his tombstone says, from Moses to Moses, there was no one like Moses. Right? Um, he didn't write that himself. Uh, he didn't write that himself, <laughs> I understand, but um, uh, certainly his followers thought that it was true. Um, uh, but it's possible to get to that level of prophecy, but, uh, but, but, uh, but even that is very difficult. Uh, and so he said that the best that we could do is understand what God is not, right? And so he famously said he has, like, negative theology. You could say, um, you can't say God is compassionate, but you can, you can say God is not not compassionate, right? Um, you can't say God is powerful, but you could say God is not not powerful, right? All you can say is what God is not. You can't say what God is. So he's saying something similar here. You can't understand what God is. Yet, even if the reason for something is not apparent to us, we must nevertheless believe that the Father of Wisdoms, the Lord of all, wrought everything he did for a purpose, for some necessary objective. Right? So in other words, even though it's very, very hard or impossible to understand God, you have to believe that, um, that, that 
the, the Torah is not capricious. Right? Whatever you might think or believe about God, um, the, we assume that God doesn't just, you know, say, you know, um, uh, pull your pants down and walk down Broadway, and that's the right? There's a reason for God to, uh, uh, to give the commandments. However, even so, we can find some bit of reason for the matter and say that human knowledge of the ways of the eternal Lord follows necessarily from his eminence. For since the thought arose before him to create the world, it is fitting that it should achieve ultimate perfection. Okay, that's important. I think that that's reason number one for the commandments, is to help God make the world more perfect. Since the thought arose, since this body of work arose? Uh, Since the thought arose before him. In other words, he had the idea. Yeah. Since since God had the idea to create the world, yes. um, God obviously would have wanted the world to be the world that God created. A perfect God would have wanted the world that God created to be perfect. All right. Now, a lot of a, lo- a lot of what appears in the Torah, uh, it also was taught by a man by the name of Hammurabi. Uh, yes, he had his own code, and it duplicates a lot of of what appears in our Torah. I, I would phrase it the opposite way, that our Torah duplicates a lot of what's in Hammurabi. But, well, that's yeah. true, too. Uh, I, it's difficult to know. Uh, Hammurabi existed before uh, before Moses. Right, right. Uh, and and uh, so, <coughs> why don't they call those who followed Hammurabi the chosen people? Well, I'm sure Hammurabi's people probably did call themselves the chosen people. Uh, um, well, why don't we? Why don't we reflect them? Well, first of all, um, it, it's it's very interesting because there are a lot of similarities between parts of the Torah and Hammurabi's code, uh, but also a lot of differences, um, even in the places where they look similar. Right, and if I'm not mistaken, for example, Hammurabi's co- Hammurabi's version of Lex Talionis. Um, was uh, was was death for an eye, right? right. And the Torah's uh, uh, take on that law is an eye for an eye, uh-huh. right? So um, so the Torah's conception of justice is very different than the than Hammurabi's conception of justice. Um, so it, um, and I think that gives credence to the to the notion that the Torah is is a let's say a, a midrash on, uh, on on Hammurabi's code or a uh, or a polemic against Hammurabi's code. Um, that that uh, Hammurabi, uh, you know, Hammurabi was a good shot, but it didn't really achieve a just society. We're going to do it better. Um, I think that that's one of the things that the that the Torah does. Um, listen, the, the 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 notion of chosenness is in the in the eye of the beholder, right? Um, so the so the Jews believed that they were the chosen people, right? Um, the um, Hammurabi is the Sumerians. I think so. Sumerians, so um, they probably thought they were the chosen people too, um, and and uh, and that uh, you know uh, um, uh, gets into a whole you know other conversation of uh, what does it mean to be the chosen people, and can yeah, can that ever know. be right? Can that ever be you know uh, um, uh, objectively proven? Um, I like to think of it. Um, it, it, without getting you know too deep into the conversation, which is an important conversation, without getting too deep into it, I like to think of it um, more from the other way around, right? That uh, that as much as there's a chosen people, there's a choosing people, 
right? And so God could pick the Jewish people all that God wanted, but if the Jewish people didn't pick God back, um, there wouldn't be a chosen people, right? So, uh, um, so I, I think that, that that's at least half of the equation um, of chosenness is our willingness to uh, pursue this particular way of life and to and to cling to it, um, and so that's that's how I j- tend to approach the question. To me, it's a very difficult question. It is a very difficult question. Can, can we go back to this for a second? Yeah. I'm just just the little bit you've read. This guy is is striving so hard to find a rational basis. Yes. For everything, I mean, we've read three sentences, and it's obvious. Yes. You know when he's writing and the ideas that have permeated him, and not just from a Jewish perspective to me, yeah. but thinking about what was going on with Reformation and trying to find a rational basis for everything. Well, right. So, okay, this was not happening in the Christian world. It's, it's very interesting that... Uh, so that this, is, this is before it was started to happen in the Christian world? Oh, yeah, yeah. The, the, okay. the Protestant Reformation, when, when were Luther's nine... Uh, 15, yeah, late, late, late... Uh, Fifteen seventies, fifteen. All right, yeah. So this is before. The- yeah, this is a, a couple hundred years before okay. it in the in the Muslim world, and it's very important to note that um, that that most of these works of uh, right, they're influenced by the Muslim, uh, right. world, not Christian, right? Right. right. Most of these works, what? Are, are influenced by the Muslim world. Most of these books of Tommy and Mitzvot, Rambam, everybody, um, they're living in a society where there's a where there's a free and open exchange of ideas, where Jews aren't ghettoized for the most part and uh, are are um, existing and 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 permeating and interacting with everybody else in society. Um, so uh, that's what I was saying. Like this book is written in the style of explaining to his to the guy's child mm-hmm. what the reason for the commandments are. But I get a sense that there are two things that some of these authors are doing. One is explaining to Jews why you shouldn't convert to Islam, right? Um, which seems to be appealing into the general culture. It's the question we have now. Why shouldn't you just assimilate into uh, the general American culture? Why is it important to continue um, observing Judaism? And then the second issue is to explain um, to, uh, to the outside culture, to, to, to Muslims, why it's reasonable, why it's a reasonable choice to be Jewish. Um, uh, um, and that's something that happens, right? Because they're talking to their neighbors, and their neighbors are like, "Well, you know, here's the reason why the Quran is uh, um, is is important. Right? Here's why we believe in uh, in in the prophecy of of Muhammad. And here's the rash." And they had very um, uh, sophisticated philosophical um, explanations for the Quran, because the the first translations of Greek philosophy out of Greek were into Arabic. In the uh, in, in in the Muslim world, it wasn't happening in the Christian world, right? Medieval um, medieval Christian Europe was a very dark and dangerous place. There was a, the only philosophy was uh, was official Catholic doctrine, which was a, 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 a sort of adopt adapted version of uh, Aristotelian philosophy by Thomas Aquinas. Um, and there wasn't a uh, there, there, no one was literate in the Muslim world. Everyone, uh, not everyone, but there was a higher rates of literacy in the Christian world. No one was literate. The only the priests were literate, and so they controlled ideas and they controlled thought. And Jews were ghettoized, so Jews weren't interacting with Christians except for by the edge of a sword. Right, um, so uh, so Jews had no interest in explaining to Christians why Judaism made sense because 
they wanted to talk to Christians as little as possible. And they had no interest in explaining to other Jews why Judaism made sense, because they lived in shtetls that had their own uh, governmental systems, for the most part, and they could enforce Jewish law, and it was just the way that they lived. So they didn't have to say, keep kosher because it is reasonable for this and that reason. They could say, keep kosher because if you don't, you're going to get hauled in front of a bait dean. Right. Um, they 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 had that a little bit in the Muslim world, but less so. You were, you had a question. I was just thinking that Islam was a younger religion. Yeah. They were closer to their prophecy we're, periods of prophecy, yeah. whereas our prophecies ended like a thousand yeah. years before with right. Ezra. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, no, but I mean. Uh, uh, over a thousand years. Uh, this is, you know, over a thousand years after the completion of the Mishnah, right? Uh, which is already, you know, half a century earlier than that. Um, so, uh, uh, and it's, you know, on the page before the page I, I printed for you, uh, the, the the first reason that he gives for why you should observe the commandments or why you should take the Torah seriously is because, um, uh, not only because it was written by uh, uh, by the dictated by the words by the mouth of a prophet. But by because it was witnessed by six hundred thousand people who had attained the level of prophecy, um, and uh, and and so uh, you have a, a a mass of people who all you know um, uh, saw and were witness to uh, uh, to this prophecy. So you should trust what they had to say. Um, so he makes that argument, but it's worth noting that he doesn't stop at that argument. He didn't say because we know that God said so, right? That he doesn't stop at that argument. And then he goes and says because a perfect God would have wanted the world to be perfect, right? And then the second reason um, is, uh, um, for now, God created in God's world discarnate spirits of intelligence, the angels, and he equally created spirits of intelligence in enduring physical form, these being the heavens and all their hosts. Then he created on earth physical creatures without any intelligence, these being beasts and birds and other species like them. It's a a little bit, I think, not scientifically accurate, but whatever. Um, then he also created on Earth physical beings with intelligence, i.e., the human species, all to let it be known that nothing is beyond him. For even though the matter, even though matter and intelligence are total opposites, he merged them into one by his great wisdom, and thereby made man. In all events, it would be inevitable that this intelligence merged with matter, i.e., man, should know his Maker and acknowledge him in order to complete the divine intention in his creation. So we have these two different parts of us: our our, our animal selves, our, our matter, and our intellect. And uh, the Torah is meant to get us to um, to to uh, um, uh, uh, make sure that our um, intellect remains a defining feature of our uh, of our humanity, um, because it were it left to our own devices, we would follow our animal instincts. So the Torah is trying. This is similar to Maimonides. It's perfection of the spirit, perfection of the mind, right? Um, that uh, it's it's uh, meant to get us to live not like animals, to live um, the way God intended for us to live, which is um, um, rational, intelligent. Uh, beings. Okay, we'll stop there, but Lou looks like he has a question. No, I'm just still thinking what I was thinking before. That the, just the way he presents this is, is kind of fascinating to me. You know, of course it's obvious. <laughs> so we'll, uh, we'll, 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 we'll come back to uh, uh, this piece of text next week, and then um, uh, while it's still relevant, we'll uh, look at his take on counting the Omer. <laughs>